And we are coming to you again from Tribal in Hull, everyone. We are in front of um, what looks like but is it 60 or 70,000 people you'd say, John? But it's like, uh, it looks like 100. It's growing. It looks like 100. It's getting, it's, it's getting busier down here. Good people of Hull, make some noise! <laughs> oh, they're a rowdy bunch. They're a rowdy bunch. There's a lot of red tops, John, out there, aren't there? A lot red, of red, red and white tops. A lot of red. red any, and any, any Hull fans? Any Hull FC fans? Ooh, a couple. Couple, couple. Very brave one. Yeah, brave one. Um, I just went for uh, just went for a piss actually, and um, gentleman at the urinal said to me, "Who, who was the the other fella on stage next to near John?" I said, "That's uh, Mark Flanagan." That was me. Yeah, I he just sort of yeah. just looked at me with a glazed eye. Just so he, you know, he played halfback in the grand final for saying just glazed, glazed eyes. Yeah, we won that game as well. So. And there was also another chap who came up to me and said, "Like, tell Mark Flanagan." We will not forget how forward his pass was in that million pound game. He wasn't forward, sorry, but he wasn't. Was it forward, forward. everyone? <laughs> he was flat. <laughs> sorry. They're going to let your tyres down outside. And actually, John, a little message in. from your mum as well. Bless her, Carol, who's still up on the Royal Box up there with Big Phil, giving us a wave, always giving us a wave. Carol, she went, don't read any of those nasty tweets out about him again. So how, I, many gin, how many gins has Carol Wilkin had? How many gins have you had, Carol? None of your business, she said. Fifteen. She said, Fifteen. She said, not enough gins, none of your business. <laughs> <laughs> Carol likes a gin, doesn't she? Likes a gin. I think she does. Mm. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you guys are going to be very interested in this. A big round of applause, please welcome to the podcast, Hull KR Chief Executive Officer, Mr Paul Lakin, everybody. You've got to be happy know, with that always, response. Sounds more mili military than officer. I, I, always, I always worry about what, why is it officer at the end of it? Chief executive sounds. Chief I have not got officer. a clue. They added the O recently, didn't they, over the last 10 years? Because you, you've been chief, ex, you were chief exec before, now yeah. it's chief executive officer. Do you know officer. I don't know. I've no idea. CEO sounds better than CE. C, C, <laughs> CEO. I think yeah, so, yeah. Like but it is, yeah. I don't, I don't know why I'm an officer, but yeah, apparently <laughs> I am. Look, let, let's, I know there's a lot of people here who know all about you, but obviously a lot of people listening, Paul, who, who won't know much about your background. Um, and we'll get on to your life in football with, with Wolverhampton Wanderers and Stoke in a bit. But the young, young boy, Lakin, um, Grimsby boy? Yes, Grimsby boy. So not yeah. necessarily rugby league heartland area, but no. what, was, what was life like then as a kid? Did you have aspirations of being a sports person? What were the dreams? Who were the heroes? Yeah, well, my dad was a professional footballer, so uh, football was very much in can't, our can't just drop that one, but who did he play for? Um, well, mainly Leeds United he started with, and then mainly Grimsby Town. Oh, wow. Hence why I found myself born in Grimsby. Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but he, he, he played like... 400 plus games professionally. So, so my dad was a footballer. So football was very much in our family. I was a Leeds United fan um, because, again, my dad um, playing for him at, in his early years. So, uh, but rugby league didn't exist really mm. in, in Grimsby. I mean, as everybody knows here, it's only over the bridge, uh, Humber Bridge, but didn't really exist. So it was all about football. Um, I wanted to be a footballer, like mm -hmm. millions of others. I made a big mistake of finding the position of right back, which is where my dad played. <laughs> so I was only ever known as John's lad, because I couldn't run as fast as my dad. I couldn't head as far as my dad. So, um, you know, I was always labelled under my dad's shadow. But uh, What a yeah. place, though, Alan Rudd. So, so as a kid, you would have gone down there, you would have hung around the, 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 yeah. the dressing rooms and around those players at Ellen Road? Uh, yeah, Occasionally at Leeds, but it was mainly at Grimsby. My, my memories are more when he, we actually retired and uh, when he was in lodgings as a, as, as a player, he's, 
his two um, other lodgers was Howard Wilkinson, who was um, the big manager of, of mm. went on to be big manager at Leeds and Sheffield Wednesday. Gave David Beckham his debut. Yes, and I remember, um, I remember then when he'd retired, he'd, I was a young lad, and he'd take me to like go and have a pre-match meal with the Leeds boys when Howard was the manager. You know, in the days when they'd have steak and chips and everything like an hour and a half before kickoff. So, and, and they were they were good memories for me. Mm. So, and you know, and he went on to be a manager himself in non-league and I'd, so I'd hang around footballers all the time you know when I was a young lad I'd sit in the changing room he'd tell me to put my hand o- hands over my ears and not tell my mum and then he'd go effing and jeffing at everybody in the changing room so um, yes it was all football then all football so how, how early were those fantasies crushed you're not going to make it Lakin get back to something else oh probably when I was about 17 18, 18 I had a few trials and I was at Barnsley I remember going to Barnsley for a two-week trial and Alan Clark was the manager and uh, he never spoke to me once in two weeks. <laughs> and I thought, I don't stand much chance here. <laughs> I, re- I remember playing re- you know, yeah. a really interesting game. <laughs> yeah, and I remember having the big trial game that, that was all set up for me and a couple of other lads that were brought over. And again, you know, you, you just get, I just got a sense and I just thought, and, and I think you know in yourself, I knew I wasn't quite good enough. Mm. So, um, so yeah, so I was 17, 18, I thought, well, I'll just play local football with I my think, mates. I think most rugby league players are frustrated footballers, they want to be professional footballers, but when they get that conversation, two things cross the mind. Are you big and are you stupid? And they go, yes, yes, go and play rugby league. <laughs> yeah. Because you play, play rugby league and most players want to play football, don't you? Yeah, um, yeah I think we're... <laughs> absolutely. I think football is like the, 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 the benchmark sport, isn't it, in our country? For, for young people, yeah. it's aspirational yeah. for, for a lot of young people. Depends what town you've grown up in. Though, it does, it? it does. but also in, in towns like Hull and you know, even in St Helens. I played in St Helens for a number of years and a lot of the kids, you go into schools and you know, they've got Liverpool and Everton shirts on. You know, and that, that I will get it onto the It is the national game, isn't it? Yeah, that's we'll get right. onto the business side of it, but that's a big challenge for us. Where yeah. come, you know, this is why Australian rugby league does so well. Is working class-wise, actually, it hasn't got the competition of soccer or football. Great. And you know, we, we've got that here now. Yeah. It's a different challenge. Mm. Anyway, well, LinkedIn's a wonderful place because I know you you studied sports science and recreation at Grimsby Institute and University. So in those years building up to that, was it always going to be something sport? Yes. Yeah, because I was. Not much good at anything else. <laughs> so if I couldn't play it, then it was like, how do I get involved in it? So, um, yeah, so I wanted to be um, involved in sport. I started out as a lifeguard. Um, then I decided... Any, any, drops, yeah, any dramas, drops. any savings? No. <laughs> started out as a lifeguard, got involved in um, local leisure centre, and then I was a young lad, and I ended up for variety of... I blacked my way to like assistant manager within two years. I, I just had the unbelievable look from being a lifeguard to, mm. you know, like person left who was above me then I said, I can do it and I got it. And then the next person went on maternity turn to leave or I'll do it for six months and she never came back. <laughs> before you know it, I was, I, I was like 19, I was assistant manager, so. Um, did that, I, did I, that come from your dad, the, the grafter side? Yeah, of my dad was a grafter, yeah, yeah proper grafter, yeah. And um, in fact, to be honest, he always, I always remember him saying to me that the most he ever earned was when he actually went and part-time at the end of his career mm-hmm. and had a job and trained three times a week. Sorry, trained twice a week, played on the weekend and had a full-time job. That's uh, mental, isn't it? Yeah. Considering what the club he played for. I know. It's crazy times, know. how football was back then. I know. So, 
I'm just trying to build a picture here, you know, uh, as you say, not that far really from where we are now in Hull Grimsby across the water. But um, not long after coming out of, of university, your, your first job, you, you were a com worked in, in commerce and you worked in a commercial department for, for four years. Well, was it Sport Global? No. Um, I worked, so I worked, in, I worked in leisure centres for quite a while. Then I, then I went over to Hull, came over to Hull and worked. Um, I ended up running um, all the leisure facilities over here. Mm -hmm. So there's like nine leisure facilities over here. First group was the word I was thinking of. First group, yeah. Okay, that was, so that was uh, Hull Trains. Mm -hmm. um, so I did, the, I did the leisure facilities over here. So ran Woodford, Ennerdale, Costello. There was golf courses, uh, Springhead and and various uh, Albert Avenue baths as it was. And there's about nine different sites. So I was involved in all of that. And then, uh, but it was local government and I hated local government and I hated having, I was gonna say one hand tied behind my back, but probably two really. So I knew I had to get out there into um, private enterprise really. And then first group, um, I, don't know how, I don't know how the conversation started, but first group talked about how setting up this direct trains hold to, to London and um, I ended up having a conversation about it and then I got so basically I got the job as commercial director for first group for this, this I don't know a thing about trains I still don't but but it was you know it was a, it was a great it was a great few years because it was what really attracted me to the job was it was new it was fresh at the time trains had a really bad name they probably still have really in terms of service being dirty staff being rude etc and we were starting this train service from scratch so I was doing the marketing behind it, and we just decided to, to do the exact opposite of what all the train services were doing. So we went for customer service, and we, we handpicked the staff, and it was really successful. I mean, it's, everybody will know in the room, it's still running now, so um, about eight times a day to, to London. So really enjoyed that, and I, I was really pleased that I, I, I took myself out of local government um, because completely different world, private enterprise, and, and first group, you know, who were, were a London-based company, you know, had invested an awful lot of money into a project that they weren't taking any prisoners on. So it had to work. What so was your big frustration with the local government stuff? Accountability. Because in local government, nobody has accountability. Because there isn't that one boss. Right. So it's always their department or their department or he's off, she's off. And nobody really grasps hold of a problem. Um, it, just, it just sits. You know, when you talk about local government and they say, uh, you know, uh, things take ages that, for things to happen, it does. And, I, and I, having been involved, it, in, been involved in it, it's just, if you want to make things happen, it's so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you don't have to lie here as well. Back then, how much rugby league were you watching? Were you absorbing? I mean, you, you don't have to say like Tony Blair, you went up to Newcastle or you had a season ticket next to, you know, um, David Cameron at West Ham. Then in politics, in that kind of world, they always sort of, you know, put some gloss on top of it. But was it, was it a part of your world, rugby league, before you got the job at, at Hull KR back in 2004? I'd never been to a game. <laughs> Honestly, been, I like it. Ne never been, well, a slight lie. I, so Neil Hutchell, the owner, so, somebody introduced us. I, I've got a shocking memory, really, but someone introduced us, and um, Neil asked me to come on board at Hawkeye back in 2004, and I said no. Um, and then he came back to me again on it, and uh, I still wasn't sure at all. And every, people in the room will be able to tell you, but we were in the playoffs at the time, um, and we got 
and I decided to go to the game without telling any, anyone. And I stood in the middle of the, I wanted to know where the boys were. So I stood in the middle of the East Stand and didn't tell anyone. And they got absolutely hammered. Something like 50-odd points to six. Can't remember who it was. Featherston. And it was the old, you know, your old season ticket box. And people were lobbing the season ticket box on the pitch. What a load of crap. Never coming, because that was it, end of the season. And I thought, I want some of this. That really excited me. D just rewinding that's, it, just rewinding sadistic. a little bit. Oh, yeah. I know. Very I but want do you know in. what? This the, is really bad. I want in. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And the passion, you know, I felt the passion from everybody around me. Um, and I thought, purely on the business side, I thought, we can do something with this. I knew Neil was. How, how did the Neil relationship come about? So, because Neil I, came to you. I was, it was, yeah, Neil, we were mutually introduced. I can't exactly remember who, who did it, uh, who was at fault. But. Uh, yeah, we were mutually introduced and, um, you know, I suppose we just hit it off from then onwards, really. Um, and it was, so, came into Hall KR for 2004. And you were chief, chief you were, I mean, was it straight away in it, chief exec? For six months, I was commercial for six months mm. and then, then went, uh, went into chief exec. But it was a part-time club then. Uh, there, 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 wasn't, there was very few full-timers. Uh, just describe, because everyone watching here will know, but just describe for, for people who aren't as connected with the whole care what that club was like in 2004, how different to now, because it was only two years after John Wilkin had left. The oh, place. It's, I mean, the, how the club is now is worlds away. It, there was hardly any staff. When people say you were involved in a club and you'd shut, shut the car park gates and shut, shut the bar, and I literally did. Mm. You know, it, it, I learned so much. So I, I genuinely did. It, if, I, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have got into football. Mm. No doubt about it. So, and there was, um, there was probably off the field, seriously, outside of the rugby department, there was probably about five of us. So, and, and I remember, not every week, but most weeks, it was how we're going to pay everybody. Mm. Literally, how we're going to pay everybody. And, and that's great learnings, I think, from a, for a CEO to have that background because you have a holistic view of how the club runs from shutting the gates to paying people to seeing what the janitor does. Every single aspect of the business, you probably got a bit of an insight from the 2004. The, the janitor. The janitor. I was an all, I think, at times. Do you know what? I couldn't agree with you more. Mm. At the time, I thought, this is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was doing everything, but... You know, as, as we'll go on to talk about favour on him create, a, a conversation later happened that I realised that what I did made me, or made my career in football. I, yeah. I loved my time at OKR when I was first there because there was an amazing time. It was a, on, a, on a Thursday, the dogs were on. We used to have the dogs running around the track. But we, They'd finished we, before I arrived. No, no, yeah, but we used to train. But the, the, the greyhounds would run around race the, the track at the end. But they'd race them around the edge of the track at the end of training. But there was like this standoff between the rugby club and the greyhound sort of department of the club. Uh, and yeah. so we'd be still on the field practicing. And we had Fetu Taiwa who was there, who was a Kiwi sort of international had come over. And he was stood in the middle of this pitch, greyhounds running around. And we were being told not to kick any balls towards the dogs. He was like, what's going on? <laughs> Foaming at the mouth yeah, as no. well. It was so, good time, uh, that was, uh, you picked up on it, which is interesting, that, that moment with, against Featherston where you said, I want some of this. Yeah. It's interesting because to me on the outside, and tell me I'm wrong, and, and again, uh, many years on, having been to Wolves and Stoke, which we'll get to, it, it seems a very unrewarding role to want to go into, being a, being a CEO. Because it, it, sometimes it can be, you know, it can be lose-lose, can't it? I, I, oh, yeah. I, I, just, I just had that feeling that 
I suppose, going back to your original point, always wanted to be involved in sport. Mm. So, and I'd been in, involved in sport in, in terms of the public service side from the local government. With, so it was a flip into the professional sport side. Um, and I felt confident enough I could do it. Back then, Neil was a lot more hands-on too. So, um, so it wasn't just me, it was me and Neil. Uh, and there was a board then um, of a few others. So, but yeah, I mean, came in part-time. Um, Harvey Howard was the coach. He soon moved on. Harvey, Harvey, how weird. Yeah. And then um, I was pushing Neil really early on, and I remember saying to Neil, if you want to do anything with this club as a starting point, we've got to go full-time. We've got, to, we've got to go full-time. So in the first season, we actually went full-time with about 10 games to go just to sort of feed our way into it. And it was quite interesting because a lot of the players couldn't handle the switch from part-time to full-time during it halfway through a season, which is understandable. But we went full-time the following year and we brought Justin Morgan in as a coach, who was 29 at the time. And it was, and it was a gamble. It, it, it was a gamble. It was over in France. Um, and we had, we had, you know, we had four... Well, I was there for four years. We had four really good years. Mm. Really good years. That's a lot of trust from the owner, though, isn't it? For, with all respect, someone who hadn't worked in sport. And I know you're trying to take this club to somewhere more like it is today, having... Yeah. Been, been away from it for a while. Yeah. But were there, were there, were there doubts in your mind, thinking, oh, Jesus, am I making the right decision? You know, not knowing what you were doing on a weekly basis. Um, 100%. Absolutely. There were times, there were times in, the early t in the early days where, yeah, I was probably blagging it, to be honest. Um, but I knew that I, I would get it right, and I knew that, and it sounds cheesy, but, you know, you work your ass off, and you'll get there, and... You know, if I made mistakes, I made a real point of never making the same mistake twice, mm. which is something that, you know, has always stuck in my mind. And, and I'd like to think I probably never. So, you know, we, got prom we, we won the National Rail Cup. We got promoted. Uh, really proud of the fact I think we was the first team in about four years to actually stay up when we got promoted. And um, I think, we, yeah, we, you know, we had a good time. We had a good time. So you had four years as chief yeah. exec there, you know, a little bit six months before on the commercial side of it. Um, you're already building this picture that all the building blocks are being put down and the club's moving in the right direction. Yeah. So then the big move to, to football, to the footballing world. And yeah. I think you were at Wolves for a season and then they were promoted to the Premier yeah. League. I mean, that is a million miles away from, yeah, with it, all respect, to was. OKR at that time. But how tempting then was it to go to, to football and how, how easy was that move for you? Well, do you know what? It was an absolute whirlwind. I remember to this day I was in my office and the phone rang and it was an unknown number. And I don't normally take, um, I don't normally answer unknown numbers and clearly I took it that day. And um, the guy just said, um, football club's interested in talking to you. And I remember saying, who? And I said, can't tell you. I said, well, I can't tell you if I'm interested then. It was a bizarre conversation. Anyway, then he said, wolves. And I was like a little bit taken aback, really, if I'm honest. And um, I said, yeah, OK, we'll go over and talk to him. So I went over the following week um, to see him at something like nine o'clock in the morning. And then at three o'clock in the afternoon, they're showing me the training ground. I'm thinking, this feels like they might be interested. Next day, they offered me the job. And then I had to talk very quickly to Neil because I think I had about three months notice. But football clubs aren't interested in stuff like that. So I think I was... I was in a hotel in Wolverhampton within two weeks, and my family came about four months later. And, and your head of commercial there, 
I was talking to John just before we, we started. I was just I was thinking how different those two worlds would have been at that at that stage. The Premier League came quite quickly after you were there, as I said at, at Molyneux. So yeah. in terms of attracting brands, head of commercial, I mean, you're, you're attracting 185 countries at the click of a finger, whereas in rugby league, you are scratching around yeah. to get the local builders to sponsor the East Stand. Yeah. How different was that world? Oh, so different. I mean, first of all, when I, the chief executive at Wolves was a guy called Jez Moxie, and I went to see him around the job and be, be, so it was June so it was before the next season and um, like I say I'm from a football background so I'd like to think I knew a bit about football they're in the championship he was saying we're going to go up this year we're absolutely going to go up this year and I thought there'd be about 14 clubs in this league saying that this year but I just had a good feel about it and as you say they won the league in year one and, and I think when you work in sport you do need luck you really do need luck. You need luck to make sure you've got the right owners. And you've got to go where you got a little bit. It was a massive decision for us as a family. My wife's from a hole, been in hole all her life, never moved before. And, and I'm saying within one week, we're going. Um, you know, and she couldn't get her head around it. Uh, I can't I'm just trying to get my head inside. Yeah, my clearly, because it took her four months to follow me. <laughs> um, so Did she dig her heels in? Was it four months? genuine four months to get them to get it sorted or was it her anchoring and saying no. well, this might not <laughs> yeah no she did she she agreed pretty quickly but i don't think she rushed to follow <laughs> yeah. i'll come next week yeah and then next week yeah. so yeah and then first year wolves won the league and um straight into the premier league and it's global and it was so intense i can't tell you how intense it was because uh, wolves are a really big club um and, and completely shocked me how big they were. I thought from, from, from being in Hull, I thought Wolves, okay, we'll be competing with Birmingham, West Brom, the Midlands, nothing like that. They don't go down south at all. They've got a whole county to themselves in Shropshire. And that's why Wolves are such a big club. So, Well, that's appealing to someone who's head of commercial, the catchment area, isn't it? And, and you add in, I know it wasn't particularly hands-on in terms of what's happening on the pitch, but your reflective, your achievements are you know, put in the piggy bank of what Mick McCarthy could spend and what a character he had there as a manager. Oh, outstanding. Um, you know, worked with a couple, a, a couple of managers that really stood in my mind, one at Stoke, and, um, but Mick McCarthy was the one at Wolves. He was, an, you know, anyone who knows or seen Mick on TV, he is exactly off, off camera as he's on camera, mm. a straight-talking Barnsley guy. You know, there was, there was days when I'd go, Mick, and he would just seem to go, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. And you thought, and you did. And there's other days, he'd say, sit down, lad. You know, you, you could have a coffee and you could talk and, you know. But he was, do you know what? As a manager, he was brilliant at understanding what a club meant on and off the field. He was really good at pulling the whole club together. Um, and he was, he was really good with, I thought, with the younger players. Um, he was a quality guy. He didn't pull no punches. But... Again, someone who worked really hard. Did you take it for granted then, uh, being at, at that stage a Premier League club, of how easy it was to get things done compared to what you'd been doing for four years at Hull KR? Well, the first thing I learned, a genuinely first thing I learned, was you're only as good as the people around you. And I, I've really taken that because I suddenly went into Wolves and I had loads of staff and some bloody good staff too. And from going from doing everything in my previous roles to, to having some really good staff and... You know, I realised then that you know you get time to think in the bigger clubs if if they're well staffed because you've got but good more, pressure. You. More, but stretch more pressure, more stretch, more judgment, more annual yeah. views. 
Yeah, and it, and, it, and, it, and it is intense in the Premier League because, so we went straight up and, um, you know, obviously first time I, I was in there and it, certainly in commercial, you're up at 5am talking to Asia and then in the evening you're talking to America and US and, you know, commercially you're talking to companies, it's global, as you say, it's global. So the hours you worked, I was told that, a bit like what they say about um, if you're a young lad going into um, stock market, stock exchange, it will burn you out because you can, you know, you have to throw yourself into it. And they said that about working in the Premier League. They said if you do five years, you've done really well in commercial because it burns you out um, because it's just such long hours. And and the, the the gap in money between Championship and Premier League, even back then, would have been tens of million. Up, oh. I best men as a commercial director. Yeah, I mean. It, your point in the championship, you're still trying to sell a stand. <laughs> yeah, in, in the Premier League, they're not in. The owners aren't interested in you selling those stands. They're they're, they're after global deals. Um, and at, at the time, the betting industry was really kicking off, and there was betting deals all over the place, and you know, and, and a lot of Asian and overseas companies. So, yeah, it was an intense time, but yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, I learned an awful lot at Wolves. It was an absolute roller coaster because we had three years at Wolves in the Premier League, and then I think there were one of only about eight clubs to be double relegated. Mm. So straight down into the Championship, straight into League One. And you had one. bloody Jamie O'Hara playing for you. Yeah, Jamie <laughs> O'Hara. Yeah, what a dead loss he was. <laughs> hey, yeah. He's done around Talksport at the moment, isn't he? Yeah. Um, look, let's we'll fast forward through the football stuff because I know everyone watching here we want to hear more about what you're doing now and 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 the impact you're going to have on Hull KR going forward, but. You had six years at Wolves. You then had six years at Stoke City. Yeah. And, and Stoke were in the Premier League for, for 10 years and eventually yeah. relegated. So you saw the impact the other way in terms of what that can have then and, and going down. Um, and Rob Elson said to, to us before in, in this sort of world, it, you get headhunted. You've got to keep moving around. You can never... Yeah. Like six years is about... And, and you've seen there's a bit of a theme to your movement, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. It was... Again, it was a phone call. Um, I was... Again, I, I go back to look, but genuinely, you, you do have to be lucky because... You know, I'd done six years at Wolves, and I was thinking to myself, they might want to move me on soon, because, you know, they, they do move... Commu- so there's commu- paranoia in that sense of people behind you. They do move people you. around, and we'd moved to Stafford in the middle of the country, and, I, and I, I, I remember sitting down only a few months earlier, and I thought, there ain't many clubs here that I can commute to without having to move house again. Um, and as it happened, Stoke was one of the ones that I could commute to. Um, in fact, it was about equidistant to, to Wolverhampton, but in the other direction, so... When they called me and they were, they were in the top ten of the Premier League, it was a one-minute decision. You, know? you talk about characters in football. You've gone from Mick McCarthy, I know that you sort of went towards the end of your reign at Wolves, to Tony Pulis. Yeah, well, I didn't work with Tony. <laughs> oh, you weren't Tony, there with him? No. 14, I, oh, he'd gone. Yeah, he'd gone. Yeah. I, it was Mark Hughes, Sparky. Yeah. That, um, so I worked with Mark and uh, he had two lieutenants, uh, Mark Bowen and Eddie Nidzveski. Yeah. Um, yeah, Mark, Mark was a top bloke, mm. top bloke. Um, you know, everyone thinks of him as Manchester United, but he was out. You know, he did Barcelona, did did Bayern Munich. He was he was a top guy. Mm. So, all these years of Premier League experience w- w- was the plan. And again, be honest, but was the plan to go back to rugby league one day, or did, yeah. did you want to stay football? The no, pl- always in my mind. Okay, always in my mind. And when I when I left Hawker, um, two oh eight. So myself and Neil, you know, I've always been really solid mates. So. Um, because of football, it took me to London quite a lot, Premier League. And Neil's work was in London quite a lot. So we would meet up all the time. We'd often go out for a night out 
um, during all the time I was in football. So he would often ring me about whole car issues, um, and I would often ring him about, you know, we were just mates helping each other out. So we was always in touch with each other. Um, and then I knew that my wife always wanted to come back to Hull at some point, so that was always in, in, in my mind too. And then about, two, about four, years into, four years into Stoke, Neil sort of said about, should we talk about maybe, you know, coming back, blah, blah, blah. And I sort of said, now's not the right time, but let's keep talking. And then, yeah, and then we decided that it was the right time. And, and I see you say it was the right time, but you came in in November 2020, which is only a few months after peak pandemic. Yeah, it what, wasn't the right time. What an intense time <laughs> to, to come into a rugby league club. I mean, it's one thing coming into a Premier League yeah. club during the pandemic. Yeah. Rugby league was on its ass. Yeah, well, I'd originally, I was actually due to start in March. Um, and um, because of the pandemic, I was very lucky that, I mean, I had a conversation with Neil and Neil said, we're in trouble here. The sport's in trouble, we're in trouble. And um, I was lucky enough that Stoke kept me on, even though I'd, I'd handed my notice in, that kept me on for six months. So again, look, I was really lucky. But, you know, talking to Neil all the time, and I said, come on, we can do this. And he sort of, he wanted to sell the club. So... Um, I remember reading that, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I knew all of that. And I knew that I was actually coming back to sell the club for him. But I also knew, because of our friendship, they also knew, maybe arrogantly, I don't know, that if I could turn, if we could turn the club around, he'd stay. Because he just absolutely loves the club. But he was disillusioned, you know, properly disillusioned for lots of reasons, but mainly one of the reasons was, you know, as any sort of owner, he was putting a lot of money into the club and, and the club was struggling year in, year out. There's nothing dissipates passion more than losing a load of money, is there? 100%. And, you know, you know and, and he'd had enough. So, um, so perversely, I was coming back to really, in my head, try to kick on with the club and improve the club. But he thought I was coming back to sell it for him. So, um, and look, at this time, you, you were obviously, you would have been privy to a lot of the conversations with the government and so on. I mean, how, how close were Super League clubs, and particularly clubs with lesser budgets like Hull KR, to, to just being a thing of the past? That would never have happened with Neil. That, uh, I mean, some clubs were, were really near the knuckle, but no, he, he, you know, he's an outstanding owner, a proud man. The club means so much to him, and he would always have supported the club to get it through. Yeah, I've got to serve the round of applause, haven't and, and, and Never it's, in it's question. Really, it's interesting because it is a, a club with um, no board, no chairman, mm. still to this day. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. It's just me and Neil. Um, yeah. That's that's unusual. Yeah. Very unusual. But do you know what? It's how we both wanted it. Um, I. The discussions were that so Neil was, yeah, disillusioned up with the club, and I wanted to run the club, lock, stock, and barrel. To be honest, and that worked really well for Neil because Neil wanted to get. I wanted Neil to get back to his day job, which was being a, a brilliant lawyer, and. Um, and that's what we agreed on, that he would be there for us as a club, financially outstanding, but he would be there for me, somebody to talk to, but he'd leave it to me. Um, and we'd just catch up when we needed to catch up, use him as a sounding board, which I do all the time. And that's what's transpired, really. I mean, for, for Neil himself, he's, he's, gone, he's gone in, you know, he was a, 
a brilliant lawyer, but he, he's had the most successful two or three years with national, you know, the postmaster's case, which Neil was heavily involved in. You know, he's done an outstanding job there. It's national coverage. So he's gone back to, do, to doing that. And I, and I run the club. But it's such a paradox to what you just described with Wolves and with oh. Stoke and having, you know, minions. Yeah, completely different. But but at the same time, it's 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 flat and it's clean and it's refreshing. Is it, is it more rewarding yeah. doing what you do now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. Um, it feels more real. Yeah. It, it, it's honestly like just the two of us saying, right, this is where we're at. What do we need to do? But business has become more complicated. Like the bigger they get, they become more complicated, and bureaucracy like fills it. And then you get tiers of management, and then you get boards, and then you get like middle management who does nothing. And then like you just get this really complicated structure where loads of people get paid, and it's like, well, why? I know. And I used to say to Neil when I was when I was out the sport, but still still talking to him a lot. I used to say, so and so board member, what does he do? What's he on the board for? You know, if he's there, if he's not there to put money in, he must be there to give you advice to help you. And, and there weren't. You know, I was like, I don't think you need him. Everyone here will be wanting to hear your vision for the club. You've been back in the role 18 months. What's realistic, and what is the what's on that? You know, the sketchboard in in your office. Oh, fiercely ambitious. You know, what's realistic? We want. We want to be challenging, but I understand fully that the structure wasn't there in the club. The structure wasn't there in the academy. Uh, you know, to be your St. Helens, to be your Wiggins, for every top player, marquee player, you need your academy lads coming through. It's a salary cap sport. You, um, and this club hasn't been good enough at getting the academy lads playing into the first team. And that's something that is very, very much on the forefront of my mind because I think... Recruitment-wise, we can certainly be better, but we have got better, and we will get better. Um, one of the biggest things I learned from coming out of football was, do you know what, it might be a much smaller sport, but I don't think the recruitment and the processes in the re recruitment in rugby league are that great. I actually think, because it's a smaller sport, it's its downfall. Everyone says, everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who, who can, you know, it's pick up a phone, but I don't think there's enough hard work done in terms of picking out a player from the championship. You know, who, who, may have, who may have missed the grade initially in Super League, you know, gone back to, to work in a, and then, you know, has kicked on at a later stage in his career. And I don't think there's enough, there's enough work done at recruitment. And that's something that equally I'm really keen for us to do. I, I couldn't agree more. You look at Alex Warms. lazy. Alex Warms is probably the, one of the best players in the competition. He was a battler for many years. Saints signed him, saw a bit of potential. How much money would he be worth now to, to a club like any, well, KR or anybody? Yeah, I think recruitment, I mean, in, in the sport that we play, you either produce loads of good young players or you try and recruit loads of players from elsewhere and make it work. And the history of the game suggests the best way is produce your own players and make smart recruits. 100%. Every, every single club that's won Super League. We, we, we sometimes scratch our heads and go, oh, how did how is it only three or four teams have won Super League? Well, I'll tell you why, because they've got great academies and they recruit really well internationally. It's, you know what? It, we can complicate it to the nth degree, can't we, Paul? But that, what you've just said is, is the right, exactly, yeah. that's the model, isn't it? 100%. It's quite simple, really. Yeah. You know, um, you have to get... You have to get into the right cycle, which we are now in as a club. So we're in that cycle of 
either being relegated, just missing relegation, and, and recruitment really hampered us because you can only really, you know, players, as you will know, will only commit to you if they know that you're going to be in Super League. So the club was historically last off the rank too often, but we've really stabilised ourselves. Obviously, had a really good year last year, um, which has enabled us. Last year was an, a superb year, and it enabled us to do some smarter recruitment, for example, in the Championship. So we picked up Frankie Holton, who, um, you know, has been superb for us this year uh, from Featherstone. And, and I think he will be for years to come. And, and not many people have picked him out, but that was proper recruitment, as I would call it. But going forwards, we've got to get better with our overseas recruitment. Got to get better at that. Um, and Is the pressure, though? I, I always find this. I, I look at other clubs when I was playing at St. Helens and look at overseas recruits and sometimes feel this is to appease the fans, right? We've signed player X, big overseas name to appease the fans. Is, is the pressure to do that sort of thing? Personally, I don't think so. Um, not, not, from, not from Hull KR's point of view. From our, our, yeah, I think we're progressing well. Um, I think that our club, we look for, you know, we want to look for smart players who give everything for the share. Of course, that's 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 a given. But I don't feel pressure. I think, I think, going forwards now, the position that we're in as a club, probably I'll feel more pressure, because I think we're kicking on. Yeah. You know, when you're in the bottom two or three, it's in a perverse sort of way, you can only go up. <laughs> but, but as you start to climb. You know, everybody's aspirations are, you know, right, you know, we got to the final four last year. We that's got the to the danger semis. of setting the bar. But, but, but I welcome that, you mm. know, because that's what we should be about, you know. But inevitably uh, the bar will drop, you know. He saw it and with Wolves, he saw it with Stoke and so on, and that's what happens. And then as soon as that bar comes down, it's like, well, hold on, three years ago we were in a semi-final in a playoff. I know. But I do think genuinely our fan base is really realistic too. Mm. You know? well, what's the biggest challenge for the club right now and for you when you drive in when you're driving it where do you live you're still living locally aren't you still you know yeah, i'm just picturing you one hand on the wheel driving over the humber bridge you know what, what cars are driving well a bit of bit of dre on the on the on the mm. iPlayer. what hardly <laughs> iPlayer. what's the, that's the bbc thing the yeah I, I live in one of these uh, the, the whole villages yeah so 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 go on the the, the challenges i mean because they're probably two separate things for, for the club that you see it right now and and for you personally paul so for the club the, big, the biggest challenge for the club has been, which we've overcome, and now we've got to do something with it. So we, we talk about on-field, which is recruitment. You know, you've got to, A, recruit better, but you've got to have that, your academy kids coming through. Mm. But our biggest handicap has been we haven't owned the ground. So we've now bought the ground, but bought the stadium, and we've bought 15 acres of land around, or the option to buy 15 acres of land uh, around uh, the stadium. So sustainability is, 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 is massive. So financial sustainability. We can't do that with our current ground because our main stand is old. It's not good enough corporate facilities to, to generate enough revenue so that Neil, to be frank, doesn't have to put his hand in his pocket. We haven't got the training facilities that we really want to sus have, have sustainability with the academy to really say, why would you want to go anywhere else? So that's what you know, we need to build, which is why we bought the land around the stadium. So. So vision-wise, it's to develop the stadium and the land, and I think that will create a lot more um, sustainability for the club as a whole. Um, f for me, personally, um, look, I have to be honest, 
I beat myself up every day. Yeah, genuinely beat myself up every day. And, and it's, it's, the, it, it's the fear of failure. Yeah, I don't want to fail from, for the staff. I don't want to fail for Neil. I don't want to fail for the fans. You know, I want, but that drives me on. That, you know, that, that drives me on. So, so for me, my ambition is fairly limitless. I honestly think we can get challenging in the next two or three years. Challenging for? Well, there's only two honours at the moment, isn't there? Challenge Cup and Grand Finals. So, um, and I don't think that's off limits. Well, Challenge Cup's certainly not off limits. And, and I, I don't think in, in time to come, the Grand Final isn't, neither. Um, let, let's talk. There you go, another round of applause. Um, controversial word, rebranding. Yeah. Right? You knew it was coming up. Um, just as I'll do my own little survey here. Anyone got an issue in the crowd with the rebranding? Pop your hand up. No. That's interesting. Okay. Did have. Yeah. And then it grew on you. Well, look, I'll tell you what, because what we'll do, you can handle the questions. We'll do a little Q&A at the end as well, and you guys can ask your questions. Um, from, again, from what I read, and I may well be wrong from that response, but there was, as, as with any rebranding, you know, even for, I'll give you an example. My godfather, Franny Lee, changed the badge at Manchester City. Name drop. From the round, drop that mic there. That's a good drop, mic drop, <laughs> yeah, that is. Know, but he, he changed the badge to, you'll remember it, in the late 90s, to a badge when they had the Kappa kit with the three stars above, which meant absolutely nothing. And they had, um, you know, three stripes on there, whatever. It, it, he changed it because he, he wanted it to look Italian. He wanted it to look like, you know, again, this is probably all the things that you were thinking in the rebrand. Mm. And then, you know, they've, thank God they've changed it back. I'm nostalgic. I'm a sentimentalist. I like the old badge. It's not identical to what it was, but it's got the Lancashire Rose on there. It's got the three rivers on there. It's back to what it says, Manchester City. The, the badge is always going to be controversial. You know that. Yeah. And, and you were there for four years before, so you know how much it means to people. And, you know, again, people had at their funerals the, 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 the badge yeah. and a flag draped over their coffin and so on. So we spoke to Chris Radlinski about this, didn't we? Yeah, when Wigan yeah. changed their badge. Mm. How, how, how much sort of um, danger did you think you were getting into when you were going down into that territory? Clubs have to evolve. So you have to evolve over time. I felt I wasn't involved in the rebrand at the beginning. So all the... The genuine credit for the rebrand goes to um, Craig Franklin, our head of marketing and comms, who did an unbelievable job over a, a period of, of a year talking to all the stakeholders in the club to get a real good understanding, um, which is so important of, of where we need to be at. And, and, the, and the feeling was that you know, some wanted to keep the three crowns of an element, but we needed to modernise the club. We needed to bring, as it, we have the Robin through, because... You know, as I think it's a quote we've said a few times, but kids don't want three crowns on the cap. Yeah, if you're going to commercialise the club and, and, and bring revenue, we need. So we, you know, we brought the Robin through. So we've got the in in the crest. We brought the blend of the two together, and I have to say that, uh, and it's not to say that you know some people aren't happy with it, but I honestly can say I never got one email of complaint, not one, which is quite unbelievable, really, for a rebrand, and. Uh, I, you know, I, I take no credit for it whatsoever. Um, Craig and, and the team... He's got all involved. the emails then. <laughs> I'm just throwing him under the bus. If you want to email Craig, it's Craig at Franklin. I had nothing to do with it, Bounce. Not got it, you care. There's nothing to do with Paul. I'm just, thinking, I'm just thinking of all those whole fans in Lanzarote this summer who've got that, the old badge tattooed on their calf. You know, I still oh. see it with the City fans hey, these but, days. But with brands, with, with like businesses, you, you look at like Adidas 
as a brand, like is the, you know a bigger sports brand. Well, there's loads, but the, they all change. Yeah, they evolve. So what rugby league? We're like stuck in this thing where oh, it's traditional. We've got to stick to our. But heritage. some people are sentimentalists. So, well, you know, I, I'm are. 38, and I feel I feel attached to something of the because it's the past. It's something of your father, of your grandfather, and so on. You must have. Yeah, seen, there's but, still an essence of it though in the in the new badge. Mm. Yeah. If, if if you said to a family, "Go to this new badge, we'll create a bit more revenue. We can sign this great player." Is, is are it you going to do it? Yes or no? Is it trying to erase underachieving history and, and, and look for, for a more exciting future? Because that was, I mean, that's what, for example, I keep saying the city connection, but I just know that for a fact no, it was about trying to have something more like exciting that. to look forward to. No, it was, when we put out when the original crest, when we put it alongside some of the other crests in Super League, it looked, it looked what it was, which was tired and old and it needed modernising. And, and our younger fan base couldn't associate with it and we yeah. needed to be able to do that. Yeah. So... And I, I say the word evolve because I do think that's what we've done. We haven't completely changed it. We've just evolved it. Yeah, that's, that's how it works, isn't yeah. it? It's good management yeah. of brand, isn't it? Yeah. To change it subtly over time. and it Keep it fresh. And we'll probably have a look again in 10 years' time and, and, and see where... Change it back. Change it back. <laughs> and go Don't get the new one tattooed. And launch it under retro. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, Craven Street. Are we, is that Craig or is that you? Is that your department? Um, no. <laughs> That's gone down very well. Yeah, I mean, not not yeah. just Hull KR fans, the Super League fans across the across yeah, the board yeah. are having that. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're really pleased with, with it. I mean, we've invested quite a lot into it, but yeah, it was our handicap. It, you know, it, that's, that, your, that's your jungle. That, that that end of the pitch, it was embarrassing. You know, it was it was empty land. It, you know, people knew that as in the, it was only really the Hull of Sea fans that we needed to put into the terrace. You know, you might as well have given them binoculars at the same time. I used to love when yeah. the guy changed the scoreboard. Does anybody remember that? <laughs> and they all, you know, when they had a guy flipping the numbers in. It's like, what Steve. score is it? We're losing. Steve, we're it's losing. Steve. John Steve, shout Steve. out Steve. Shout Steve, out Steve. we're losing 10-6 to Sheffield on what we scored. It's 12. <laughs> <laughs> He's not done it yet. <laughs> so, so we turned it into a real strength. There you go. So we yeah. turned it into a real strength and... Um, you know, lots of people, lots of clubs have got like fan experience parks, etc. But our bad fortune, we've turned into our good fortune, which is we actually had a significant amount of space pitch side. Mm. Everybody else has to put it in the car park because mm -hmm. they've got four stands. Mm. But we've turned it into um, something that the fans really enjoy. I think we've done a pretty decent job on, on it in terms of making it exactly that. Lots of street food, band, DJ, etc. Match and days have to be an experience. You know that from, from your yeah, Premier League days. I mean, yeah, it, I mean, that was really on my mind. And, but also, going, you know, there's lots of elements to it. So it, it's a true fan experience. I think our fans love it. Um, it's really popular. And it has brought more revenue in. You know? So as a chief exec, that's, you know, that, um, we're not... We don't do everything just for the fun of it. We've got to get some revenue back. Mm. But, but the biggest thing for, for supporters in any club is it's dwell time. How do you get a fans in early? We've got the spending perfect money. Spending mm. money. Mm. And then if we win, generally, staying later. Yeah. I, I, and that's the perfect uh, area for us to do that. You know, if we win, the music's on straight away. Everyone from the East Stand heads that way and has a good time. And if, we sh if you lose, what happens then? Shut the Craven Street down. down. Yeah. Shut it's it closed. down, <laughs> Putting the train across Paul, the ground. Get it shut. Double There's about beer. 50 diehards that go over a, for yeah. a pint and I think that's it. <laughs> yeah. so and that's one thing you used to speak about. Oh, Toronto. About Toronto. Yeah. You used to come home and say, Toronto's great, but you should see the match day experience. Yeah. Independent brewers, different hot dogs, 
Kyrgyzstan's people just are there for mm. the occasion. And that's something that I think sometimes rugby league... His pockets were being lined by Brian Noble to say that at the no, time. No, we didn't know that. Fucking hell. I, I just think, look, <laughs> <Fuck yeah>. we're <laughs> patronised rugby league fans all the time. Yeah. They say, what do you want? Oh, we'll give you a really naff pie. <laughs> and it was really bad. Couldn't agree with you more. And I'm like, that's what we break it down to. This like entry level assumption. And a mascot. That no, that's what we want. And it's not like there's loads of people want better things than that. You know? And, it's and, and just putting craft beer, street food, different food. The culinary scene, the food scene in Hull has, has developed. It's not. Yeah, and it's, and it's a real it family sport. And, yeah. you know, to take your family there, do you, you know, is it really all about hot dogs and burgers to, in today's. Game. It's not, no, but it can be. But as long as it's good, why would you have a bad hot dog or a bad burger? I know. Just have a good one and sell it for the money that it's so, worth. So our, our vendors are genuinely independent vendors, and again, most people in the room will have probably been over there and you know got a whole variety of different food, and um, it's really good. It's yeah. really, it's really proud of it actually. I, I love it. The most passionate John Wilkins got over the last forty-five minutes was about it's hot about dogs. Hot dog. Yeah. It's not <laughs> the, the hot dogs are shit. Dog. <laughs> um, look, I want to I want to open it up to you guys in about fifty minutes or so. Um, a couple more things to talk about as well, because I know it was more than a hint. You were talking about the the fifteen acres that you bought around the ground, and obviously this fits in with Craven Street and match day experiences and so on, yeah. bringing in investors. So yeah. the longish, mediumish term view is we we're not moving ground. Yep. We're building a new stand. We're yep. developing the area and we're trying to compete with what's on the other side of the city. Yep. We're looking to develop um, the the option land that we can draw down on is, is a seven year deal. So in effect, we've got to do something in seven years. Um, and we and you're in a financial position to do that? As we what, sit, of what you have, how you've envisaged it? As we sit here today? No. Um, have we got plans? Are we talking to people? Yes. So um, there'll be no... One thing I'm really... Key, key not to do is is to do this drives me mad mm. these clubs that do these artist impressions of this is how the stadium's going to be and then it's Everton's on the cutting room great, floor for the next five years Wakefield did a charcoal drawing <laughs> did you see it it was on Sky it was, it, here's, here's a charcoal sketch of what it might look like you might as well put a Lowry painting up I know when, when we do release any drawings it will be because it's happening yeah. and we won't release anything before then because like I say I'm just you know, I've seen it over the years, I think, you know, this is what we're going to do, and it never happens. I don't think there's anything worse than raising expectations and then knocking people down again. Mm. Uh, let's talk about the realignment with IMG, and that might be people listening going like, oh, snore off, whatever. But I think, actually think it's a really interesting five, ten-minute conversation we can have, because for those who don't know, uh, you know, anyone listening, that you sat actually... Uh, on both the Super League and the RFL realignment working groups and, and the strategic working groups, didn't you, Paul, that, that brought in IMG. And for those who don't know IMG, I actually work for IMG. They do, they do the Premier League productions. Yeah. But IMG is a, is, a, is a global sports events talent management company, yeah. um, headquarters in New York, I think. Uh, they've, they've been owned by Endeavour since 2013. Yep. So this is a 12-year partnership, at least. How much... Um, have you bought into the vision of this? How much do you believe in this new partnership going forward? How much of an impact will it, I guess, this is what the guys in front of you want to hear, have on whole KR? It had to happen. It, ha it had to happen. I, look, I haven't been around for some of the other, you know, false dawns before, but, you know, IMG are a worldwide brand and a real serious player. And, uh, and they're not getting involved in the game to, for it to go wrong, you know. 12-year term says says what it says really they're in it for for the medium to long term that will be about that will be three if not four broadcast cycles and clearly 
what IMG will be doing is, you know, we haven't done so many things well at all. So we don't we don't elevate our best players like 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 we should do as a sport. We don't make the big occasions bigger and better. We need to make the Challenge Cup better. We need to make the Grand Final better. Yeah, we need to make you need to concentrate on the quality, and make the quality better. And IMG are just the perfect company to be able to do that. They've done it before and they've done it with other sports. The, the, the sort of standout line, John, that I saw from this, and I want your view on this, is the, the idea to maximise the whole game's commercial value as one product. We, we spoke hours at end to Rob Elston about the future of Rugby League and the commercial future of Rugby League. How key do you think this move could be? Well, I think one product's interesting to say that because I think the game now has a really exciting opportunity. We've got more assets to our brand than we've had previously. We've had a men's game for a long time. We've got a women's game that draws audiences. We've got a disability, uh, you know, at the World Cup and is yeah. being played. So all of a sudden, then we've got community grassroots and we've got junior rugby. Then we've got a huge number of elements that are commercially viable. So the realignment for me is exactly the right thing to do. I think it was being segregated into different parts, like the, the Super League on its own. Challenge Cup over there. Just a car crash. Yeah. Stupid. Yeah. It was mental. It was mental. It was this crazy decision, but we've got it realigned. And IMG, why would they get involved? They see the upside of everything being aligned again. That, they're in it, they're a business, aren't they? They see an upside. For me, the most exciting thing is a business like IMG doesn't get involved unless they see an upside. And, and that's exciting because they could take us anywhere. They took the, the Premiership deal, the, was it the Champions League deal? Yeah. 3.5 billion to 4.4 billion or something. And it's like, wow. They know what they're doing. And I think the most exciting thing for, for me is that they're, they're doing it over 12 years. So, you know, when somebody like, a global company com comes to you as a as a strategic group in terms of being interested in getting involved. The first thing I th I thought was, are you coming in to flip it? Are you coming in, put money in, sell it in three four four years, etc. Quite the opposite. They want to work so there's, with there's the There's no break clause when they watch Wakefield against Salford on a Thursday night. <laughs> Have we got a receipt? <laughs> no. No, there's no break clause. So, you know, they're in it for the long term. And, and I think that's probably the best news out of the lot because, you know, they themselves say it will take a couple of years to start turning it. But when they do, they've got an unbelievable track record. Um, Euro basketball, which is huge, you know, across Eastern Europe, etc. They've turned that from, you know, a relatively small sport to, to, to a huge European sport. And also, I've been party to a lot of the conversations and it's all the big guns involved in IMG. It's not, oh, it's so-and-so account director. Well, Barney it's, Francis doesn't fuck about, and he's just come to IMG you know, from Sky Sports. All the, all, all, all the key people have come to the table and um, have consistently been communicating to us. So, yeah, I'm genuinely really excited have, about have it. Have we outsourced this too late? Is this, you know, this sort of relationship feels like naturally should have happened before now, right? You know, I look at Rugby Union, have always outsourced sort of lots of their sport in terms of now they're outsourcing their coaching and attracting rugby league coaches. Yeah. Commercially, this is needed, right, Paul? Yeah. But, but is it, is it, how far on the doomsday clock to needing this are we? I don't, it's definitely not too late, yeah. but I reckon in a year's time it would have been. Yeah. I think it was now or never.
Um, and I think we're unbelievably fortunate to have attracted IMG to the table. I think the, the, for, for me, the important thing that, that's come of this is we're getting voices and opinions from outside the game, which we haven't done from a lot for a long time. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, what do we think? What do we think? Well, no, we're trying to grow into other markets. Let's take people from those different markets and see how they perceive our sport and see how we can grow the game. Because I think sometimes we've been very inclusive and look within for growth, whereas sometimes you need to kind of stretch your borders and take 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 um, take advice and feedback from from outside. And they're one of the biggest players in the game, aren't they? Well, yeah, really I mean, their the, the, the track record speaks for itself. Tony Smith, another elephant in the room. Let's address it. You know, he's done wonders for this for this yep. club, as you mentioned last season, was unbelievable. Yep. Um, was that awkward for you that how this how this all happened? How he sort of dropped the bomb that he was leaving? How much communication did he have with him over it? And, and where are you at now with it? Uh, there's the wry smile. It, it was a surprise. It, it was a surprise. It was a surprise. Yeah. Um, None of us were prepared for it. So, um, yeah, I've got nothing more to say in it than it was a surprise. But where, does, where does that come from? It's a genuine surprise. A genuine surprise. Yeah, genuine surprise. So it was, what, April? Um, look, Tony wasn't, was out of contract at the end of this season. So, um, and as you know, May the 1st, you've got recruitment. And, and as people know, conversations happened before May the first with some players, but ultimately you can't do anything till May the first. And it was it would have been it's a very difficult situation for myself and Neil to understand how we can attract players when we don't know who the coach is going to be. So so that was something that you know yeah. what was an issue for us undoubtedly. Um, you know it was in, in in April, but we were talking you know we were talking to Tony about an extension. So. In that respect, it was a surprise. Why, why did he choose to drop a grenade and, and not save it till the end of the season? Because, I mean, look, again, devil's advocate from the outside. And I'm just, is it coincidence that form kind of drops off the cliff after an announcement like that? And, um, and, and how do you see the sort of rest of the season going? If you're a player, I mean, John, you, you'd have been in a situation where you know you're not going to be playing for that coach next season. Does that have an impact on, nah, on not, the next few not, months? Not no? if you've got professional integrity. Well, not everyone has that. No, but they should. They should, and if you want to challenge, they should. They should but, have... And, and this is, I think, when, when the, in the absence of sort of clarity and a bit of leadership, look, it just opens the doors for things to become a bit squiffy. And actually, what it does is it just allows people to pin something on something. So Tony leaving was like the ideal opportunity to... A downturn in form could have happened anywhere. But when it's, you know, Tony's leaving, well, oh, it's because of that. Well, it's just not. It's far too complicated. Sport is... So complicated, you can't pin it on one thing or the other. Also, our recent run has coincided with, you know, a, a real tough in, injury list for us. You know, we've had plenty out in the last few weeks, and so, well, in some season-ending injuries too. So, personally, were you wounded by Tony's mm. announcement? Like, how did you? No, when you heard it, right? I wasn't wounded. Were, no. Did, how did it feel though when you heard it? I was shocked. Yeah. I genuinely was shocked. You know, I was, I was. Um, in the room next to, in the room next to him. So he was doing his um, press announcement, and I was in my office. So, and what was the next few minutes after that? Yeah. What, what was the yeah scene? Yeah, for for myself, um, Neil was away, um, so he was on the phone to me, um, and the media team. It was chaos. Yeah. Did you did it, you know before chaos. the press conference? Or you, did you no. listen to it live? No. no. You found out oh, in the right. press conference. No, I didn't, no. but, but when you've had a relationship I like got, that I with him... From, I got a message from Neil as the press conference started. Yeah. But when you've had a relationship like you had and the season that you'd had the season before, 
Is there something you're not telling us? I mean, I'm sure when we open it up, there's going to be a few questions. Was, was there something that had happened, something that had exploded behind the scenes? Because you say you were completely blindsided by no, it. No, if you're asking me, have we had some big stand-up arguments? That, no, we haven't. No, yeah. no. Mm. It's, that's not been the case. Yeah. Have we had disagreements? Absolutely. Do most CEOs and head coaches have disagreements on various things? Mm. Absolutely. But, yeah, is there, is there a moment where... Oh, it was that day, I and mean, we've never recovered from that day. Mm. No, nothing mm. like that ever happened. Look, move it forward. Not, not, not in my eyes. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll open up to these guys, but um, the future, Willie Peters, deal done. It was a kind of, you know, a few, a few weeks where people were thinking who's coming in and so on. Yeah. How excited are you about that? Yeah, genuinely, you know, we're really excited. We're, we've spent a lot of um, investment in the last couple of years, investing in quite a lot of our younger first-team players, and, you know, we play an expansive type of football which, you know, Tony's introduced and, and very successfully at that. What, what we, you know, so the, the announcement was a, a real surprise, but what wasn't a surprise was we had a coach out of contract at the end of the season. So, so clearly my job, I was already looking uh, in terms of my feelings were out. Leeds Rhinos were in the market at, at that very time. Had you tried to tie Tony down to a longer deal? We, we, we were having discussions. We were having discussions, absolutely. Is that uh, what's happened here, right? Tony wants, is not playing ball, dragging his heels. You've gone out to market to find a new coach. He's spit his dummy out. John, I don't know. I know, but that, yeah. to me, well, I'm, alert, like, I'm outside of it. That appears what's happened, isn't it? So I suppose when it did happen, we were already at second base in respect of, we, I knew what the market was. I knew, because I had to. You know, it's my job. Yeah, uh, we, we didn't know where we were going to be with a coach f next year. So I'd already understood where the market was. And as I say, as it happened, rhinos were in the market too, so I needed to know where they were at. Um, and, um, you know, we spoke to uh, Willie Peters, um, or I spoke to him originally uh, quite early on. But we didn't want to um, radically change the club. We'd invested a lot in the club. Um, but what we wanted was someone that really genuinely understood the value of bringing the academy kids through, first and foremost. Willie was a development coach. So that's where he originally came from. Two, he was, he's a six-year served assistant coach under some... Great pedigree, Wayne Bennett, Souths and... Yeah, some very, some very, very good um, head coaches, um, you know, under Anthony Seabold, who's a big friend of the club. So, you know, we, we, we spoke to quite a few people. Um, C, he, he had a remarkable knowledge of Super League. So he was a player... Many years ago. Played for Wigan. Yeah, Wigan, yeah. Wigan, yeah. yeah but his knowledge of Super League, like he watched all the games. So um, whilst he hadn't coached over here, it was like talking to someone who'd coached over here. He, um, he will tell you himself when he comes over here. But when, when, I, when I first spoke to him, he said that, um, you know, when you ask the question, you know, is your wife going to be happy? You, is your family going to be happy coming over? You know, he'll openly say that when his wife was his girlfriend, he told his girlfriend that one day he's going to coach in the Super League. So if we're going to be boyfriend, girlfriend, you need to know we're going to England one day. <laughs> so, um, so he was, you know, this has been a key focus of his. She was thinking London, he's thinking Hull. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 you know, it, it, it's a game over here that, um, you know, he's immersed himself in already, which is really important because, you know, don't need to tell these guys, it's a different game over here. You know, it is a different game. Um, uh, so, there's a, a whole lo load of positives. Um, you know, quite a few of our senior players, I've had, I've had chats with Willie now, and 
Um, yeah, really excited about bringing him over. We're yeah. gonna, we're gonna, go so, on, John. No, I was going to say, you've got Danny Maguire there also. And, well, I think Willie Peters and Danny Maguire are actually what an exciting coaching yeah. combination that you've got going forward. You're like incredible, great young coaches who, who bring that, I think that it's sort of a fresh element. You talk about rebranding, well, that's just got a really, I think, vibrant feel to it as a coaching team. It's a real good point. They've gotten real well already in terms of the conversations they've had. So um, I think that they'll go great together. Paul, I really appreciate you coming down. And, and look, you knew we were going to put you on the spot and that's what you'd yeah. expect. So thank you so much for being so honest. And no um, look, we're going to open it up to you guys. I can see a lot of tired faces, a lot of empty glasses, but put your hands together for Paul Lakin, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.